Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. I'm Julie Smith and this week I'm off to Vietnam through the memories and food of filmmaker, supper club host and food writer Ewan Liu to talk about her new book, Vietnamese. You know, when we went to the UK, my mum... Um, travelled with a bag of rice and a bottle of fish sauce because, and it was believed that that would have been our last grain of rice when we finished the bag and that we'd be living on potatoes um, for the rest of our lives and never see our families again. Her story is extraordinary. Little Ewan arrived in the UK aged five with her mother and brother, part of a mass exodus of over 800,000 boat people who fled Vietnam between 1975 and 1995. By 2010, she would become the word on Vietnamese cooking. After huge success with her London supper clubs, it was only a matter of time before the Observer Food Monthly scooped her up. I asked her how much that meant. It, I mean, you know, it's the Observer and it's... Um it's like a dream because I've always grown up with it and it's kind of like an endorsement of what I'm doing and a recognition also an appreciation that um that what I do is useful to other people um so it just just feels like um such a huge dream come true I mean I even you know when I was 14, I wrote to The Guardian and asked for work experience. <laughs> and at the time, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to be a photographer or a writer. And I said I wanted to, to be both. And someone kindly phoned me and, and said, um, well, you have to choose one or the other. And if you can't decide, you can't come and work here. And <laughs> <laughs> this sounds very like The Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, you know, back in the early 90s. Yeah. I mean, let's not romanticise it too much. All newspapers and all media are looking for the next big thing, the next new idea. So, you know, the idea that we have rather that the Guardian, the Observer have wrapped their lovely blanket around you and said, come on in, is a little bit romantic. Uh, They were probably thinking Vietnam. Great. Fantastic. But they're right. Because we are constantly looking for new ideas to zing up our food culture, which is becoming ever more exciting because of diversity. Yeah. Does that, is that how it feels to you? Yes. I mean, there's so many people who come to me to my cooking classes and, and saying, you know, they've been there and they absolutely love the food. It makes them feel so good. And therefore, um, it's right that, um, the press would want to cover it a little bit more because it does make you feel completely different than eating um, Western food and food that's much more fattier and creamier. Mm. And um, it's light and delicate. I, I cooked chicken fat last night and yes, it, it I was pretty and delicate and gorgeous and I felt great afterwards actually <laughs> but but let's let's just go back into your story then tell us how you came from Saigon and what life was like in Britain in the 1980s when you first arrived I was about five years old um so the memories I have are very distinct but there's not many memories <laughs> as it were because I was quite young um it was really cold when we arrived I remember that and it was very difficult going to a new school and not knowing how to speak the language or read or write English. Um, coming from a communist country, we were learnt, we were taught how to write and read at a really young age. 
Um, but, you know, of course, I, I couldn't understand English and it was probably very hard for my mum as well. It's really hard to be um, taken away from the, my very close-knit family. You know, I lived with aunties and uncles and grandparents um, and I missed the food and I missed them. It, yeah, it was it was a, a tough time, I think, um, as a child and probably for my mother especially. Yeah, and you describe your mother as a typical Vietnamese lady uh, who speaks about her emotions through food. She feeds when she wants to comfort. She expresses her uh, anxieties and her and all her emotions through food. Tell us a little bit more about that. So in Vietnam, the culture is um, very much about feeding and making sure that your belly is not hungry. So when you see someone, instead of saying, how are you? Um, you'd say, have you eaten rice yet? And then, you know, if not, offer all kinds of of snacks or dishes that you have available and so as um as mothers their job is very much about nurturing and about taking care of the family you know some some women in the family if there is a large family um they are assigned just to cook or and then the other one is assigned just to do the shopping and all of that is to service the family. And so when my mum had her two children and she was here in the UK, you know, her, her way of looking after us was to feed us and to make sure that we were getting what we needed and, and were healthy and were eating well. And not only that, because that's quite physical, I think everyone would do that, but to express her love, it was all about flavour and all about satisfying our palate and our enjoyment of food and and how however much we love food would be the result of of her giving you know Vietnamese food is so emotional and empathetic in that way it's a beautiful way of describing food I mean so many cultures around the world use food in the same way but you know there's a delicate nature of Vietnamese foods it, and it looks so pretty and the idea of these two little children who you know coming from a you know because of poverty it was poverty that drove you from Vietnam to to seek a better life but you know you you, you land in a place where you can't buy the food that you were growing in in Vietnam and and how did she find the food to please your palate to comfort your bellies because it just wasn't there, was it, in London in the 1980s? It, it wasn't there. And it was, you know, when we went to the UK, my mum travelled with a bag of rice and a bottle of fish sauce because, and it was believed that that would have been our last grain of rice when we finished the bag and that we'd be living on potatoes um, for the rest of our lives and never see our families again. Um, but, you know... The, the community would help each other. They would say, oh, go to Chinatown. And then, you know, there'll be weekly trips to Chinatown on a 19 bus. And, um, you know, then someone would say in Brick Lane, they sell coriander and they sell basmati rice. So you would then just take from all the different cultures like Chinese and, and Indian and Turkish, whatever we had around us locally, 
and you know like my mum would find aubergines um from a turkish shop and you know things like that and would say oh great you know we can create this and that um and you know finding a, a chicken to make chicken fur um first of all making it without all the spices and then gradually finding them but I think it was just through the sense of um the community around like as boat people the the people who were on the same boat as you created a family a really close-knit family who helped each other out on things like cooking like my mum didn't know how to cook and so she you know her friends all helped her to learn and because she wanted to achieve those flavors she was so desperate to cling on to the the flavors she knew and grew up with and loved that she went to all ends to to find what she needed and and actually we we had all the Vietnamese food we needed just from from the little that was around us and adapting yeah, and it is riches for the rest of the community. I, I remember when I was in Melbourne in oh, my gap year when I was in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, Melbourne was rich because of the Italian, the Greeks and the Vietnamese boat people. You know, there were masses of wonderful, wonderful ingredients. And, and Australia then grew to have the most wonderful food culture because of its fabulous approach to immigration at that time. So riches for us. Um, you grew up to become an artist and you went to St. Martin's, Central St. Central St. Martin's, um, and you became a filmmaker and you went back to Vietnam to make um, a wonderful film about, I mean, I see it as, a, a, as the disconnect, the wanting to kind of uh, fill the gap, to, to go back and reconnect with the place that gave you so much that you actually remember very little about, but deep in your soul you probably remember much more for you was it was it was it that yes yeah I think he described it quite perfectly um I, I didn't know what I was doing I was quite young and uh, I was given the opportunity from the Arts Council of England to to make that film and to travel there with a crew and shoot on actual film which was amazing yeah um I ended up editing the film in a way that I didn't you know, when I went there, I didn't intend on making it so personal. But because the trip had been so personal and, and moving, um, that I felt was was the story. And, you know, I just, I was at art school and growing up as a, a immigrant in in London, I didn't know what kind of person I was. Like, I... I it was really hard. I was like 21 when I made it to understand if I should be whiter or if I should be where I came from and how to combine the two. So the, going back and discovering it, I felt like this is, you know, this is not me. I, I have become very British and yet every every arms you know, all the arms I had emotionally embraced my family there and the culture and and going back to the places that I, I distinctly remember as a, as a five-year-old when I left. Yeah, so it was um, it's really emotional going mm. back and seeing how um, 
my parallel life could have been mm. just by seeing how my cousins who were more or less the same age as me grew up um without much food you know and and at the same time I went to the UK and didn't have much food either mm. so either way we were both um in both lives pretty hungry mm. um yeah so it's it's very much a a, discover, a discovery about food and at the time as a filmmaker I had no idea that I would be working in food at all but from since a very young age food had been um, something that's very important to me without knowing it. Yeah absolutely and I wonder if that sort of filmic storytelling searching sensibility um, informed the way that you presented your food when you started writing your blog it's very beautiful you know you're it's very artistic well what are what role does your artistic self play in your presentation of your food the way that you write about it and ultimately your supper clubs um well I just see I when when I um make a, a plate or a bowl of something you know I just see always how light um reflects onto the ingredients and I I just move it around so that it's complemented you know by the light um and it just comes so naturally to me but also because Vietnamese food is so vibrant in in its imagery and um its curves and all the things that are on each dish mm. it's it just feels you know easy and natural for me to make it look yeah. <laughs> nice because I you know I when I give someone um food I I want it to visually please them as well and it probably came from you know how my my mum did it you know just from from her making something look pretty instead of just dumping it on to yeah. a plate yeah I mean it is very pretty I mean I found myself sort of just <laughs> making a little picture yeah. out of my food last night and I don't normally put my food on Instagram but I couldn't fail to do that one it was it's so just because beautiful it's, it's so herby and yeah. um and so green and and natural so yeah. it just makes yeah. you do it without even wanting to anyway exactly <laughs> so tell us about the supper clubs this is what put you on the map, wasn't it? Yeah, so um, I went to Italy a lot for a good few years um, in my early 20s and um, ate so well in these little places in the mountains that only locals know about. So they're like people's homes and at the bottom they have a little restaurant and you pay, you know, 30 euros and you have wine and you have everything that the kitchen brings out. So I just thought, oh, we, this is perfect for, for London. You know, I would love it if people came to my house and, and had dinner. And, and knowing just from art school how I, I made the friends I did via food, I was like, this is a perfect way to make friends and connections and networking and is to cook food and have people come to eat it and um that's how it came about with with the blog and with twitter this was in back in 2009 2010 um and it all just kind of exploded everyone got very excited by the idea and supper clubs had only just started back then as well so it, it all fitted in at the right time and and um i got so much support from the food community 
that the this word of mouth you know began to spread and it it still hadn't stopped and you know it, it was going for 10 years before the pandemic and yeah. people would tell me oh i heard about you when i shared an uber with someone or my um uh, my masseur told me that they went to uh, this supper club, you know, like everywhere people were talking about it and um, I would have bookings every weekend. And It's fantastic, isn't it? And, you know, supper clubs are an opportunity for people to speak through their food and you've already explained how your mother did that. I wonder if that's what you were doing in the early days of your supper club when you were feeding your friends. You were expressing somehow through your food who you are yes it was it was I you know of course I didn't know on the surface of things that that's what I was doing but I was discovering myself through um these plates and dishes and and cooking you know from Japanese food to Italian food and and then Vietnamese food and learning about a a new skill which is such a was a hobby um it I didn't intend it to be anything professional but you know when I gave a a meal and I ate it with a few friends and from that became so many conversations and so many layers were unpacked about who we all were Mm. um made made it all possible to discover myself and and them and and potentially themselves um and I, I I also find that when I serve Vietnamese food at the supper club and you know I can see how a table livens up because the food is so beautiful and how good food equals good moods and mm. If it, you know, if if we go to a bad restaurant and we eat something really awful, like it, nobody wants to talk, everyone wants to go, and but if you really enjoy the food, then you just open up and, you know. And and your mother is now growing a lot of the vegetables and the herbs that you use at the at the supper clubs. Yes. Yeah, so in the summer months, when she can grow them, she grows tons of them. She um, really fortunately lives in a place where there are loads of Vietnamese people Mm. and they have this garden that they use like an allotment and they all grow Vietnamese herbs and vegetables and share with each other. So if she doesn't have enough, then, you know, someone else would give it to me. And it's just so beautiful and how they wash it and how they place it, Mm. you know, with leaves, um, you know, neatly for me and it it's so beautiful how lovely what a wonderful thing let's go through some of your food moments which kind of tell us a little bit more about your your mum and your family so this is your first the chicken fun this is what i made last night beautiful beautiful dish so delicate so i mean it took a long time to slowly slowly simmer that chicken in a broth um but so delicate tell us why you chose that one it's one of my favourite dishes. I can't go for very long without having one one bowl at least once a week, or even, you know, three or four times. Um, it's so delicate and light and it has subtle flavours of star anise and coriander seeds and cinnamon in the background. But it's it's like the perfect chicken soup for the soul. It just makes everything 
feel better. Um, essentially, it's a breakfast dish. So people would wake up and eat this for breakfast almost every day. Because when you go to sleep, your body is very cool and it's been relaxed. So you have something like this, which wakens you up, but in a very gentle way it's warming refreshing you know and then with that squeeze of lime at the end to give it that little burst of of liveliness and all the fresh herbs it really you know just makes the day feel better yeah but it comes with a background you you told me about your non-biological Australian grandparents Mr and Mrs Holland who you met via the church who helped your mother get access to the ingredients to make this Yes, yeah, so they came to look after my brother and me every Monday at four o'clock after school and they would teach us how um, to, to further our English and, you know, to teach us a lot about the culture, about what it is to be um, Western. They were actually Australian who lived in um, the UK um, and they taught us, you know, about manners, about how you shouldn't slurp and how to hold our knife and forks and things like that. So... They came and taught us that, and yet my mum gave them all the Vietnamese things and then taught them how to eat the Vietnamese way. And one of their favourite dishes was pho, which um, they almost requested almost every week. And um, Mrs Holland, June Holland, um, she sadly passed away at 93 um, a few months ago. She loved that flavour of coriander. And And at the time, we had no idea what that herb was called in in English um so she was like desperate to find it um and so she did loads of research about um you know she took the leaves and she asked around and she went to garden centers and eventually I don't know how she found she 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 came one day so happy I found I found this herb it's called coriander (laughs) and yeah she was so happy that um to eat fur and to know what it was and then she she then added it to everything (laughs) wonderful I love that story it's about how food connects it's about you know crossing cultures and bringing people together absolutely wonderful um your second food moment is the fried fish and again this is about your mum speaking through food so with fried fish it's simply just fried on both sides um if it's like a like say a lemon sole it's you know five minutes on each side to make it nice and crispy on a bed of watercress and then a lovely sweet sour and hot spicy sauce to go on top so it's very sweet and sour and crispy and then very delicate and soft in the middle and this used to be or still is um, my favorite meal to have with my mum with rice and um you know she would simply buy a fish from the fishmonger and give us this um some of the evenings after school for dinner and she as a vietnamese um traditional woman she would always take the best bits of the flesh and give it to my brother and then give it to me you know, you always serve the youngest one first or or the eldest like a grandpa or something yeah um and and then you know she would only have like the fallen bits, the tiny bits that are left on the side, and she would use that sauce to just flavour her rice. And and that you know she gave all the fish to us, and because we only had one fish to share, and she would just eat the um, the rice with the sauce. And that's what lots of um, 
Vietnamese parents do. They just give away everything. But it's it's really no sacrifice because that sauce is so delicious and and all the fallen bits, you know, she still she still ate she still eats. And if I um eat with my daughter now like this, I'm I'm exactly the same. It's funny, isn't it? It's like you can't let that idea of scarcity leave you it's such a an embedded idea that you give the best to your children first because there might not be enough even though there is enough uh, this idea of picking food out with the chopsticks and feeding to your children i find a very poignant uh idea yeah but even if um you know uh even if we had a lot of food it's still a habit of my mum and me to just exactly. give that's what and if you go to someone's house and you give them a, a feast you serve them only all the best things and then you just take bits that aren't as good yeah 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 wonderful it's 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 the feeder mentality it's yeah. wonderful <laughs> um your third food moment oh my goodness i can't i have tried the fried fish and i love that sauce but i haven't done the caramelized pork belly slices noodle salad yes yet but this is about you going to manhattan and again it's about the gap between the food that you're you're used to and being away and that disconnect and then you find something <laughs> that reminds you of a deep memory yeah, so um, when we were at art school, um, we had three months, but we actually went for six months, <laughs> to uh, do work experience. And my friend Anya and I, we went to New York and decided that was the best place because we loved the movies and we romanticised about, you know, Manhattan. So we got, took a student loan out and um, we went. And um, that was when I discovered... Um, that I took my mum's food for granted and and how much I adored it and loved it and missed it and can't live without it. Um, so, you know, uh, at the time, I, I used to always go to Chinatown in in, um, in New York and, and eat there, but never really found the right flavours until I found a, t- a small little takeaway um place a few blocks down from where I was living and found you know um which is a caramelized pork over rice noodles loads of leaves and herbs and pickle and I was and I could smell it from outside the shop so I took that just ran home as fast as I could and when I ate that I was just alone it was just one of the most pleasurable food moments to sort of oh I can taste I can taste Vietnam you know by then I hadn't been back to Vietnam yet um so I you know it was like I made it in life because (laughs) because I had had this dish (laughs) and you say that you remembered pre-five-year-old memories from Saigon that treacly sweet fragrance are smell is one of the the most important senses and it does have a memory of its own. I mean, I certainly remember food from Malaysia where I spent the first three years of my life. Do you think that you really were remembering Saigon? Yes, I think I must have been because that smell was so powerful and it, um, I just related instantly. Uh, But even this morning, I I was walking past something and it, it was pouring down with rain and I smelt my school of um you know in vietnam mm-hmm. there's this like this inky smell from somewhere mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is it's sometimes in natural red wine as well it's like this 
papery, inky smell because they used to make us practice writing so much. Um, yeah, so smell is so yeah. incredibly powerful. Yeah. Your final food moment is the banh mi with omelette. Now, I haven't tried this um, at all. It's the most popular Vietnamese food, though, you say. Tell us about this. So the Vietnamese baguette, um, probably inspired by the French, um, is, you know, one of the most eaten things. And, and, and it's like everyone's favourite sandwich. And most people would tell you that it's the best one in the world. Um, the baguette is really crispy um, on the outside. When you bite into it, you can like hear that crunch and that sound is so pleasing. And yet inside is the most fluffiest of cloud um and really light and delicate and and that expresses vietnamese food so well because it's the opposite of flavors and then you have you know the the um the very sort of sour pickles it could just be carrot that's just slightly pickled with sugar and vinegar and then the the crispiness and the freshness of cucumber and coriander and mint maybe and then you have the protein which would you know it could be a you know a caramelized pork that i had in the noodles or it could you know be any sort of protein like fish cakes but my favorite is just just the most humble one which is just a an omelet fried with shallots and i tend to add lots of greens to it so whatever i have it's so in the book it's with asparagus but you can do tender stem or or cauliflower or whatever you have lying around and just mix it up so simple and it's that silky flavor that is then in the combination amongst all the other textures and flavors it makes it such a perfect happy bite i'm always mm. i feel always really happy when i eat one of those yeah i love that juxtaposition between the french and the vietnamese in a in a baguette um tell us about the supper clubs from now on obviously during the lockdown you haven't been able to do anything are you planning to do more um yeah so they're fully booked in july i think i have to postpone a few um wait for the restrictions to ease and um so in the meantime i had been doing like takeaway boxes um so that had been going really well really exhausting completely different from doing the supper club and now i have to adjust and try to remember how i did the supper club um yeah are you still enjoying them it's really hard work. I feel a little bit like I feel like my bones feel a little bit more <laughs> tender and um, I ache a, a lot more than I'm used to because it, it's now like 11 years since oh, I first well, did yes. them. I actually always dread the thought of doing them. But then when I'm doing them, it's like being on such a high yeah. that it's a completely addictive. So I keep doing them. There's an element of performance, isn't there? Yes. I guess so. Are you one of those people like, you know, Grub Club who the, the cooks <laughs> stand up and talk about the food? No, I'm not actually. I'm quite shy. Um, so I don't do any talking um, and it's always very loud. There's always about 40 or 50 people there. But I do do Vietnamese cooking classes and that's where I explain everything about all the ingredients and how you eat and, and the etiquette of sharing and enjoying and... Um, and wrapping and and how a lot of food are salads um just translated in a different way than we know here your mum must be so proud yeah she she is really proud um well I, I last saw her last week and she was 
it was my birthday so she was yeah she got me in tears just <laughs> how proud she is and she loves the book and um she helped you know she cooked most of the things in the book for us to photograph so that's really nice that she's a part of this food journey and she helps with the supper club she really enjoys giving that love that you know that's that's inside her it just bursts out you know in these cooking classes and these supper clubs she she's there mate in the cooking classes making sure people cut stuff right and you know when we're prepping for the supper club or the takeaway you know everything has to be uh done the right way because it's about how you bite everything so you can't just cut this and that way it has to be this way because it reflects everything else and and she gives much care and and so much love is seeps through the food that we serve at the supper club and and everything I do so I'm proud of her of of how she got us to where we are thanks for listening you can buy all the books featured on cooking the books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jillysmith.com and while you're there do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news of cooking books retreats and supper clubs including one with ewan don't forget to rate and review the podcast on apple podcasts and i'll see you next week when i'm in testaccio rome via zoom of course with guardian food columnist and multi-award-winning author rachel ruddy <laughs>